Welcome everyone to a new episode on the podcast Self-Evolution Regardless. And uh, I think I might want to talk about uh, today, I guess, I'm guessing most likely, I think it's going to be about... Cognitive distortions. Because it's a very, very highlighting topic, key topic of narcissistic abuse. And abuse uh, triggers cognitive distortions. And part of abusing someone is changing the way they think about everything, the way they perceive themselves, the way they perceive people around them, the way they perceive the world, and how they interact with it. And so along with that come the cognitive distortions that we may partially have if we've ever been abused, but that ones that we can work on and ones that we can fix. As long as we have the chance to be aware of what's going on and to make the choice and take the decision about fixing them and fixing ourselves and be more intellectually sane. So, um, I have this article, or rather it's a PDF uh, document that's also like the excerpt of the article itself. It's from psychcentral.com. And uh, so without any further ado, let's dig in. So cognitive distortions are simply ways that your mind um, convinces us of something that isn't really true. It's sort of like when your brain is lying to you. So these inaccurate thoughts are usually used to reinforce negative thinking or emotions telling ourselves things that sound rational and and accurate, that's the problem, is that these things may sound rational and accurate at first, because they kind of make sense, which we tend to believe in, but really only serve to keep us feeling bad about ourselves. By learning to correctly identify this, a person can then answer the negative thinking back and refute it and be able to critically think about it and find a more balanced way of regulating uh, whatever it is they're thinking of and how they utilize the words which also uh, i'm going to be talking about this in a a minute uh, later uh, it has to do with semantics and word use number one is filtering A person engaging in mental filtering, which magnifies negative details while filtering out all the positive aspects of a situation. So all they think about is the negatives. And this is when you hear somebody somebody who keeps complaining nonstop. For instance, a person may pick out a single unpleasant detail about an issue, a problem, a thing that happened, an event and dwell on it exclusively. Their vision of reality becomes darkened or distorted. When a cognitive filter is applied, the person sees only the negative and ignores anything positive. 
And it sounds like someone who is suffering from depression, someone who only sees uh, things in uh, dark in, in their dark uh, faces, everything so negatively. Uh, they are toxic, okay? These people are toxic and they should be avoided unless they want to seek um, help and therapy themselves. Maybe they will change. But people who are addicted to filtering and only talking about the negative things all the time, filtering out all the positive stuff, um, th thinking that they're being honest and they're giving you an honest opinion and advice and everything that is that is just lies upon lies no the world doesn't work like that unfortunately number two polarized thinking i'm sorry if you're hearing this dog barking in the background i'll make sure i i'll fix the uh background noise so that it's not annoying uh, so, number two, polarized thinking, which means black and white thinking. In polarized thinking, which is also coming, derives from the word polar, you know, north, north pole, south pole. So, the polarized thinking uh, things are either black or white, all or nothing. We have to be perfect or we are a complete failure. There is no middle ground. There's no shades of gray in between. A person with polarized thinking places people or situations in either, in either or situations uh, or categories with no shades of gray or allowing any complexity of most people and situations. So there is no flexibility around like it's either or, so strict, so rigid. A person with black and white thinking only sees things in extremes. And this is a very bad pattern of behavior and pattern of thinking um, because black and white uh, polarized thinking also destroys the way that you perceive the world and the way that you even behave yourself, the way that you act in the world. And it's not a good thing. It hurts you and it hurts the people around you. Especially for a parent who's also teaching their child how to think. But unfortunately, they're teaching them how to think in black and white terms. And that's not a good thing. That's not a good way. That's not a good thing to teach to your children. Three. Overgeneralization. <laughs> Three. Overgeneralization. That's a difficult word. In this cognitive distortion, a person comes to a general conclusion based on a single incident or a single piece of evidence, leaving out all the rest, of course. And if something bad happens just once, they expect it to happen over and over again, endlessly even. A person may see a single unpleasant event as part of a never-ending pattern of defeat. So they come they, they jump to conclusions out of one incident, one evidence, one piece of, you know, uh, incident that happened just once, and they expect it that's to happen every single time whenever they were going to try it again and again and again. And this happens, unfortunately, um, 
to 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 victims of abuse because so many times they have been conditioned for example to never say no for example and whenever their narcissist reacts in a rage mode they're automatically going to expect that the next time they're going to say no it's automatically going to be a rage reaction rather than understanding or a an adult conversation or even a discussion about things but no um and so because but but this is not something like that okay this example might be not so coherent with what i'm trying to say here but for someone who overgeneralizes it's also part of being a toxic person in their own thought pattern they will send negative bad vibes over this tiny thing that happened this tiny little error that happened or this incident that just happened only once and what they're going to make out of it is a huge problem because the next time it's going to repeat itself and then the next time it's going to repeat itself again and then over and over and it's an endless loop of catastrophes and this is why this is bad this is why it's called a cognitive distortion because the world doesn't work like this okay it's not because some sort of an incident that happened or a bad thing that happened or an error that was made or a mistake that was made it doesn't make the whole world crumble and destroy itself and this tiny little mistake is now a huge monster you know another yet another cognitive distortion Number four, jumping to conclusions way quicker than the normal speed of jumping to conclusions. So without others saying so, a person who jumps to conclusions knows what another is thinking and feeling. Or should I say they assume that they know what the other person is thinking. And exactly why they act the way they do. In particular, a person is able to determine how others are feeling toward the person as though they could read their mind. And these are people who claim that they can read people easily, especially if they're if these people are thinking about them somehow. Their distortion can also manifest itself as fortune telling where a person believes their entire future is preordained whether whether it be in school work or romantic relationships so when they assume that they know that that person is thinking about them and feeling and they know exactly why they act the way they do this person is going to uh pr- pretend that they're capable of reading people's minds and this person is going to jump to conclusions that are not necessarily true 
and that don't always revolve around them because people in general don't really target you or have something against you or constantly thinking and obsessing over you unless they have something to do with you unless you did something good or bad for them that made them feel a certain way and then they're gonna either haunt you or thank you for it but this person who thinks they're capable of reading people's minds i just think it's fortune telling no it's just assumption and claims and a cognitive distortion because rationally and how we should think about it instead is you see people uh thinking about you or not as something that is dependent on their behavior you know how they act is it really towards you or not if it's towards you and they behave in a good way they're probably giving you a hug or telling you hi or showing you that they're uh, a fan or encouraging you or whatever they may actually be thinking about you at the point and then wanting to be grateful for you but if they stare at you from a distance and they are being um, passive aggressive around you or they're slamming things around you on purpose if they're doing these things then they're probably annoyed by you, by something you did or said, or in a, in a certain way, you made them feel a certain way when you said something. So, you know, really, how we should think about it is if that, how that person behaves around us. If that person is acting good, then we should probably see how they behave and then make a conclusion about it and the same for if they're behaving badly around you it's not about being capable of coming up with assumptions and claims over being able to read people's minds and fortune telling unless you're a tarot reader because that's right now a profession that's your business but other than that no superpowers, please. <laughs> uh, cognitive distortion number five. Catastrophizing. When a person engages in catastrophizing, they expect disaster to strike no matter what. This is also referred to as magnifying and can also come out in this opposite behavior, minimizing. In this distortion, a person hears about a problem and uses what what if questions for example what if the tragedy strikes or what if this happens to me to imagine the absolute worst occurring um again this is an extreme of way of thinking how can we possibly Think about a catastrophe that is going to happen to us in particular. These what-if questions are terrifying themselves, okay? 
if you watch a horror movie or a true story documentary or something and something that thing happened to people because they've had a terrible experience at a particular time in a particular place for a particular reason and that is on them okay that is their choice their decision their act their their actions their responsibility of 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 carrying on with the repercussions that they have to take responsibility for that they have to be accountable for but you at a different spot in the world with a different time zone in a different place with different people and a different mood it doesn't necessarily have to be the same thing it doesn't necessarily have to project itself onto you this thing that you're watching or that you're seeing or that you heard about doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to attack you so say for example everyone is talking about covid-19 right now and everyone is panicking over the numbers of the people who turn out to be positive when they went for testing over covid-19 the people who catastrophize will say will panic will go into panic mode anxiety and alertness and they will constantly think about what if this happens to me what if this tragedy of how many people died will actually occur here right here right now and so they will take extra precautions everywhere they go because they're terrified because they're catastrophizing the whole entire thing about this virus of how many people died how many people are tested positive how many people are tested negative how many people are still under control how many people are still active carrying the virus and um it's this whole thing in a jig is just too big of a deal to really have to obsess over because the honest truth is that it doesn't have to be that way and the world doesn't function like that every single time something bad happens yes we take precautions yes we're protecting ourselves yes we're wearing face masks which by the way i'm going to talk about them in a rant soon i don't know when but i will um and so not to the extent where you're panicking every 5 minutes you're buying more masks than you need you're washing your hands too frequently you're avoiding people for the stupidest reasons etc etc you know these this trend this pandemic is getting everyone catastrophizing over this virus way way overboard cognitive distortion number 6 personalization personalization is a distortion where a person believes that everything others do or say is some kind of direct personal reaction to them they literally take virtually everything personally even when something is not meant in that way a person engaging in personalization may also see themselves as engaging as sorry the cause of some unhealthy external event 
that they were not responsible for. I have been through this experience, and it was especially because I was terrified of guys who bullied me back in high school, and because I hit them back. (laughs) And so it happened that I was taking everything personally. I was triggered. I was easily triggered, very terrified. Everywhere I go, I think, oh, they're talking about me. Oh my god, they're looking at me. Oh my god, they're staring at me. Um, And so... It got to the point where I skipped school for a couple of days because I was really overwhelmed with the thoughts of personalizing everything. Um, And just, just overwhelming anxiety and not feeling well at the time. But then the administration took care of them and took care of me and... Obviously, my grades uh, got lower, decreased, dropped, but yeah, after that I recovered and it's not really as potent as it used to before, but it's getting better. Cognitive distortion number seven, central fallacies. Uh, My bad, I meant control fallacies. The control freaks. So this distortion involves two different but related beliefs about being in complete control of every situation in a person's life. In the first, if we feel extremely controlled, we see ourselves as helpless, a victim of fate. However... The fallacy of internal control has us assuming responsibility for the pain and happiness of everyone around us. See, there are, they're pretty much very related. So, if we think we are uh, extremely controlled, then we are helpless and we are victims. But then at the same time, the inner control internal control makes us assume that we are responsible over the pain and suffering of everyone around us. I'm literally restating that (laughs) just now. But the point is, this is how so many times PTSD feels like. Under too much control and pressure and manipulation, And then, when you're trying to control yourself, and you're trying to control your anger, possibly, and your reactions, you're then thinking, assuming, that your this control in itself is is the reason why everyone is in pain and suffering. You're responsible for everyone's pain and suffering. But remember, what I mentioned in the Personal Bill of Rights is that you're not responsible for that at all. You're not responsible for anybody's feelings, actions, thoughts, behaviors, anything. It's their business. If they're suffering from pain and hurt 
and whatever kind of problem, it's because something happened to them because of some sort of reason. You may not be necessarily the factor why they're going through that painful journey. You may, if you're involved, you may take partial responsibility, but not the entire responsibility over it. See, that's, there's a difference. And that's where you need to put limits, and that's where you need to put boundaries. If you're not responsible at all, leave it to them to handle it. But if you're partially responsible over it, take responsibility over your part, and that's it. Leave the rest to the owner to take care of the issue. But so many times, it's because of abuse that we fall into this cognitive distortion. We think that we're responsible for the whole entire misery going on and for the pain, and it's sad, really. But no, no, it's not. It's not our fault. Number eight, fallacy of fairness. In the fallacy of fairness, a person feels resentful because they think that they know what is fair, even if others disagree. As our parents tell us when we're growing up and something doesn't go our way, life isn't always fair. They tell us life isn't always fair, right? People who go through life applying a measuring ruler against every situation, judging its fairness, quote-unquote, will often feel resentful, angry, and even hopeless of it because of the strict rules that they put for themselves, that they condition themselves into believing. Every time it doesn't come to their expectations, then they're angry, bitter, and resentful. Because since... Because or since life isn't fair, things will not always work out in a person's favor, even when they should. Okay? And things will not always work in our favors. And that is... You can consider it as a test. As sort of a, a test for choice making. Life is testing you how good you are with making choices. And so the fairness, the whole concept and idea of fairness, it's not heaven. People can create heaven on earth or hell on earth with their choices and actions and the way they behave around people. Okay? But this whole entire idea of, of, of our concept of fairness is not absolute. It's only relative to a certain extent, to a certain percentage. The whole world isn't always fair and it isn't always working for your favor. You can take, you can consider this as a test instead, as testing your patience, testing your ability to make choices, testing your ability to take accountability, accountability over your behaviors and actions and thoughts and sayings, etc. 
So, uh, cognitive distortion number, I hope I made sense. Cognitive distortion number nine, blaming. When a person engages in blaming, they hold other people responsible for their emotional pain. They may also take the opposite track instead uh yeah track instead blame themselves for every problem even those clearly outside of their own control for example stop making me feel bad about myself nobody can make us feel any particular way only we are only we have control over our own emotions and emotional reactions only we are in control of our emotions and how we react emotionally and nobody makes you feel any way you feel that way independently of others someone who is entitled and arrogant like a narcissist will tell you things like that will tell you stop making me feel bad about myself but You made yourself feel that way. I didn't make you feel that way. You felt that way. Because of maybe what I said or what I did. But I'm not the factor. I'm not the means of making you feel a certain way. So. Number 10. Shoulds. Should statements. I should pick up after myself more, etc appear as a list of iron-clad rules about how every person should behave. People who break the rules make a person following these should statements angry. They also feel guilty when they violate their own rules. A person may often believe they are trying to motivate themselves with shoulds and shouldn'ts, as if they have to be punished before they can do anything. As if they owe themselves their whole entire life to keep up with the should and shouldn'ts. With the shoulds and shouldn'ts. Um, you know, it's as if um, if they don't follow up on their shoulds and shouldn'ts, their life will punish them. And they don't. And then they're, worth, they're worthless of life. And it shouldn't be like that. It it should never work like that. When people who break their own rules of how things should and shouldn't be, or how they should and shouldn't act or say or do stuff, then they become angry. Why? Why? Is there a measuring rule for every single situation in life? Number 11. Emotional reasoning. The distortion of emotional reasoning can be summed up by the statement If I feel that way, it must be true, etc. So, so yeah, this is basically narcissism. If I feel angry, it must be true. If I feel happy, it must be true. You know what I'm saying? Whatever a person is feeling is believed to be true automatically and unconditionally, even though we know how many times that emotions 
can deceive us and emotions can backfire and work against us. Emotions are extremely strong in people and can overrule our rational thoughts and reasoning. And then we can fall into traps of too much emotional reasoning, which may create fights more than solutions. Emotional reasoning, when a person's emotions take over, is, sorry, when a person's emotions take over our thinking entirely, um, blocking out all rationality and logic. And that's where so many fights may break out, so many hurt and damage can be done, and a lot of problems can occur and it's not really it's no longer rational reasonable behavior it's just based on instincts and emotional reaction which is bad and false cognitive distortion number 12 fallacy of change in the fallacy of change a person expects that other people will change to suit them if they just pressure them enough. A person needs to change people because their hopes for success and happiness seem to depend entirely on them, on this person encouraging the other person to change. See, that's the problem. It doesn't depend on the person themselves, but rather depends on... Okay, so take two people, A and B. So A is trying to make B a better person when they're trying to pressure them enough times to hopefully change B. But then A thinks that it's because of them, it's, it's because of A that, that B will change, but not actually B's willingness to change. This distortion is often found in relationships, and I have to be honest, I've been there. I've been the kind of girl who wants to change her boyfriend by pressuring him enough times Hopefully he will change. Hopefully he will be a better person for me. He will if he if he loses weight, then I'm gonna like him more. If he gains weight, <laughs> God damn it, I hate this, but I've been there because I didn't know what it meant exactly to accept someone for who just the way they are. If they're losing weight or gaining weight or going through a journey of I don't know being. A professional or whatever just just accepting this person the way they are you know if they're changing or not if they're planning for some sort of ambitious goal or something or not really have to love and appreciate this person for whatever efforts that they're making but no it was that girl who was trying to manipulate to get her oh god damn it I fucking hate this. Um, so, for example, a girlfriend who tries to get her boyfriend to improve his appearance and manners in the belief that this boyfriend is perfect in every other way and will make this girl happy if they only changed these few minor things. Oh my god, I just confessed my sin. Whew. <laughs> on. So yeah, it's a bad thing. It's totally... Uh, selfish and uh, self-serving and not really for the purpose of 
allowing someone to make the decisions and choices that will work for them, but rather the ones that will work for you, which is self-centered, unfortunately. If it works for them, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work for you. If weight loss or weight gain works for this person doesn't make you necessarily angry because you see that this person isn't gaining or losing enough weight to satisfy you. See, that's the problem with self-centeredness and self-purposeness. <laughs> yeah, so this is a cognitive distortion is what I'm trying to say. Number 13, global labeling. The global labeling, also referred to as mislabeling, a person generalizes one or two qualities into a negative global judgment about themselves or another person global. Well, this is an error in context of a specific situation. A person will attach an unhealthy universal label to themselves or others. This is just like generalization, except this time it's when someone is generalizing one or two qualities into a negative global judgment about themselves or others. They're making it... If, if someone is moody sometimes, then they will make this moodiness a trait that 7 billion people on earth have and that nobody can get rid of this moodiness, for example. They will make sure that the whole entire world is suffering from moodiness just like this person is, and then nobody can fix this problem because it's a pandemic of moodiness. And this is a cognitive distortion. Fourteen, one before last, always being right. Oh my god, let me not get started on this. Let me not get started. When a person engages in this distortion, this is getting extremely annoying. So they are continually putting other people on trial to prove that their own opinions and actions are the absolute correct ones. Uh, they always have to be right. They're so in control of the rightness. They always have to show people that they're always right. God damn it. To a person engaging in always being right, being wrong is unthinkable they will go to any length to demonstrate their rightness even if it takes an impossible equation in physics or maths in quantum physics they will go to that length to make sure that they're right even if something that doesn't have to do with maths or geometry or physics anyway for example Two people found in love. How can you explain that? And when these two people are generally... And, and you know these people, okay? But when you're telling this person that these two people fell in love and normally... I don't know. It's not normally, but you always assume that these people weren't compatible, but they somehow fell in love with each other. You don't know. Some things are just unexplainable. But hey, this person will go to the extra length of explaining it physically, mathematically, technically, scientifically, philosophically, and emotionally, <laughs> and just all the way to try to tell you that these people are not compatible. 
or that they actually fell in love regardless of their compatibility. Either way, this person will go to the extra length to explain that they're right. And finally, number 15, heaven's reward fallacy. (laughs) So the final cognitive distortion is the false belief that a person is Uh, The person's sacrifice and self-denial will eventually pay off as if, say, some global force is keeping score. This is a rift on the fallacy of fairness because in a fair world, the people who work their hardest will get the largest reward. A person who sacrifices and works hard but doesn't experience the expected payoff will usually feel bitter when the reward doesn't come. So yeah, these are basically the people who are always telling you to work hard, work hard, work hard, never stop, never pause, never take time to chill, never take time to relax, always work hard because the reward is going to be big and it's going to be big enough to suit you and make your life happy and make your life a better life, and, and, uh, etc. But then when these people don't work as hard, they will be pissed off and bitter because the, the reward that they expected didn't come. The heaven's reward fallacy. You don't have to sacrifice your efforts, time, mental, physical, spiritual, sexual health in order to get a good result. Sometimes you don't even do half the work and you get a better result than the one you expected. Remember the 2080 rule. A lot of times, 20% of what is being done gives you 80% of the result that you expected. 20% of a number of employees working in a company will, for example, produce 80% of the good amount of products and services this company sells to people. Take that as an example. And so many other uh, rules... There's always exceptions to the rules. It doesn't make it absolute. But the point is, it doesn't always work like that. It doesn't always fall into the hands of hard work and nothing but hard work to get good results. Sometimes not working at all gives you good results. How about those investors in the stock um, stock market Index funds, trust, uh, trust funds, the inheritance, the passive income you make on YouTube, the passive income that you accumulate over time, that you're not even making a whole lot of effort on making every day, but then the, it c- accumulates to become to becoming something huge. You're not working hard on that, and that is. That is already a big exception to the rule. So, 
these are the 15 cognitive distortions. I haven't had enough time to talk about solutions because it's already time up and I don't like to make this episode any longer. So, now you got yourself educated on 15 of the cognitive distortions. A key point to understanding how bad ways of thinking work. Hopefully, the next episode will be talking about some solutions on how to tackle and hopefully resolve these cognitive distortions. Um, So, I hope you enjoyed listening and learning something from this episode today. And as always, if you'd like to see this podcast thriving and successful, please do not hesitate to donate and support it. I will be very much appreciative of that. And please do not forget to check out the links on the show notes. And I'll see you in the next one.